Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Dr. Psych Mom Show. Today, I'm going to be talking about when one partner wants to change socioeconomic class, which I will just heretofore uh, say class instead of socioeconomic class, <laughs> but just for all my uh, fellow uh soft sciences people who remember SES, I could say SES too. Some of y'all probably are still still in research in some way. I stopped being in research after academia, but this is really going quite far afield even before I get to my intro. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be talking about when one partner wants to go up in class and the other one doesn't and why and how to deal with that and what I even mean. Um, and uh, before that, please do subscribe. The most recent one is when you're replicating your parents' marriage without even knowing it and I'll have other ones coming out shortly also please do follow me and subscribe to me on TikTok I am now I've doubled my number of TikTok followers which is you know kind of easy to go from one to two no I'm just kidding I think I'm at like 1600 or something by now which is still like basically nothing but please do follow me there too all right so I work with a lot of people that um, have money and as do uh, most self-paced psychologists and especially Especially lately, you know, obviously you get older, people listen to you more. <laughs> it's hard to be an expert when you're in your 30s, but now I'm 41, and so I'm, I'm officially in expert territory. I'm in striking distance, about age 45, I think I will peak. Um, and anyway, so a lot of people that have money, it's not so straightforward. As I've discussed in another podcast about when people have money, sometimes the only thing they can buy is love. So I get lots and lots of couples in because when people can buy everything they want but they can't buy a loving relationship it's thrown into stark relief how little the money really matters you know until of course they're on the dating market then it's helpful again <laughs> but anyway uh, there there are more conflicts than one might imagine between people and I'm not even just talking about the upper echelons right where where I'm working I'm saying like going from lower middle to middle middle to upper middle you know whatever the change is in class it, it, any sort of change can stress a couple. So I, I often talk about the example and I quote the or I reference the movie When a Man Loves a Woman with Meg Ryan. Um, so she got sober in that movie. She had been an alcoholic and it very much stressed the relationship. And that is pretty much what happens. You know, it's not just people are like, oh, wow, my partner's so much better now. That's like so awesome for us. I guess I will just hop to and improve myself and then we're better. No way. Like people People are used to the same old, you know, thing. They're used to having uh, a comfort zone. And that comfort zone may be that one person drinks a lot and parties a lot or that they both do. And if one stops, then that stresses the relationship. What are we going to do now? What's our identity going to be if we're not partiers? And sometimes it's getting a lot more money or the desire to act as though you have a lot more money, uh, which um, e even even a while after you've gotten it. So what do I mean by this? So obviously you could have a lot of money and still act as you used to when you didn't have a lot of money. That's plenty of people. If you read the book, The Millionaire Next Door, you know, some large percent of millionaires still drive cars that are not, you know, flashy because they don't spend their money on those sorts of things. And the point is that's how they got to be millionaires in the first place. Um, and, and a lot of people 
believe in that philosophy, like the money is to be socked away, it's to be used for uh, whatever it's needed for, the children's college, maybe they're a graduate school, down payments for their homes one day, and basically we're going to keep living the same as we were always living, even if we get more money. But then some people say YOLO, and I want to seize the day and live in the way that I always wanted to live when I was a child. And um, I want to have the car that looks a certain way and the house with the pool in the right neighborhood, send the kids to the right schools. And by the right, obviously, this is in quotes, you know, whatever is the signifier of a jump in station. And so this can be done to impress a family, right? So like if you grew up poor and now you have all of the markers of wealth, then this could very much impress everybody you grew up with. It can impress yourself, you know, you could feel like you're really living the dream now. Um, it, it could be something that you feel makes you um, happier, you know, day to day. And there are actual studies that show that money is correlated with happiness, um, but like only at, at certain amounts of money, you know. So listen, you could cut the data either way. There's stuff that says that money doesn't make you happier unless it takes you out of poverty, in which case everybody agrees it makes you happier. But then there's like, um, there, there's different sorts of studies on whether it makes you happier at upper levels or not. But the, the point, and also you got to have your definition of what's happy and, you know, all of the various research associated issues and definitions and what have you. But the point is that it, it doesn't really matter for the sake of our purposes what, what these different philosophies are. It matters, do, does the couple share a philosophy on whether they want to join the next socioeconomic class up and have all of the signifiers of that class? So frequently, this is the cause of a lot of marital conflict, you know? So for example, one person wants to retire early and wants to save all their money so that they have a lot of money to live off and they want to retire at like 45. And the spouse thinks that that's bullshit. They think that that's being lazy and silly and they would want that, what are they going to do if they retire so early? Instead, they want to work and or for the spouse to continue to work um, as much as possible, you know, until the normative age age or the usual stereotypical age of 65 or whatever, at which point they will have provided all of these luxuries for their children, you know. And so, uh, and the other person may also feel that the children and or, this is a different situation or it could, or any of these could be, you know, commingled, but uh, that the children would do better with more, quote, like wholesome values and having to know the value of a dollar and have a part-time job and not get everything they want. The other person could say, oh, well, I'd like them to get everything they want. I certainly never did. And this can go along with different philosophies of parenting as well. There's usually one who is softer and one who is harder on the kids. And I discuss that frequently, this, um, you know, the idea of setting boundaries with your children and trying to strike a happy medium of authoritative instead of authoritarian, too strict, or permissive, too lax. So these can be layered on top of different parenting styles. And also, there are uh, very different personalities that go along with each person's desire to either be in the next class or to stay in the same class, right? Which are um, really, it's interesting, introversion and extroversion. 
So introversion, introverts usually want kind of a quieter, simpler, more minimal life because they don't like the big hustle and bustle. So to them, getting like a huge house with a pool where they're going to like be entertaining all the kids' friends and all of their friends that they don't even want to have sounds like some kind of nightmare. Whereas to a more extroverted person, this would be such a happy, you know, um, wonderful, fun sort of thing to be like the house that everybody can go to and where all the kids friends can always sleep over and there's a game room and there's like you know a pool with like all and she's gonna serve it's always she (laughs) actually it's not always she with the pool it's usually she usually the woman is the impetus for the pool because it's so about the kids you know the kids friends but there's a lot of guys who want big houses too and so I there's no gender in this so if you're thinking like if you're came to me and um you know from from one of the manosphere conduits and and are thinking that that this is only these materialistic women that are forcing men into indentured servitude hell no i see plenty of women who are like why do we have to upgrade our house i don't understand in fact it was interesting i was talking in my facebook group which you should join if you like um talking to me (laughs) or people that or if you like people that like talking to me also but i was talking about how the new trend that i see is that when women get divorced they go into an apartment because they're like I don't want this fucking house I hated taking care of this house and I don't want this big house I want to be free and the kids are going to share a room and it's going to be fine and those are the women who usually do not really um want these big markers of of wealth you know they're like I'm fine downsizing like I never really wanted this house to begin with and I'm cool like being out on my own I don't need alimony fuck it and that's a lot more women that I see and of course women are making as much money as men if not more at higher rates but irrespective of that even if they're lower earners many women are like fuck it I want to go into the apartment or a smaller house you know because uh, they they didn't like having to deal with and manage all of it and they found it to be showy or uncomfortable and they just want it to be done after being divorced they want to have a different identity which is more simpler and, and more minimalistic So um, what are some other reasons that go into people not wanting to show markers of being in the higher class? I think I've said socioeconomic more times than I promised to, but but I don't really remember. I go into like a fugue state when I do these podcasts because I have no notes. <laughs> but anyway, um, another reason is that people were trained by parents to fear or hate the wealthy. So like if you had a blue collar parent and they were always like, you wouldn't believe this fuck that drove his BMW into, you know, uh, whatever. If the father was a mechanic and he was such a piece of shit and he talked down to me, what a motherfucker fucker if you heard that growing up you're going to be pretty uncomfortable with driving a bmw right i mean unless you really hated your dad and it's a big fuck you usually you would have on some level a lot of trepidation around joining a class that had been so maligned by your own parents or feared or or just kind of they were in disgust also religious people can based on the religion can tend to be raised to really askew material things and so the idea of having some huge house and not uh, something that very much indicates that you're probably not giving away most of your income to charity because you've kept a quite a hell of a lot of it would be seen to be um, you know another source of discomfort like that wouldn't be who you want to be so there are so many variables that go into an individual's comfort level with um 
with with attaining a different uh obvious level of wealth you know and and the other one that I kind of touched on briefly is how much the person loves work because like if you go on the reddit for like uh financial independence retire early fire like there's all these people that are like I'm just slogging through this job so that I could get to like a state of passive income and retiring early and if those people are partnered with people who love their job and and would uh, retiring early sounds like a death sentence because it sounds so boring and like their point their their meaning would be gone then those are two people that are going to have conflict over this idea of whether they should be saving or spending you know and and whether they should get the house in the different neighborhood or whether they should stay where they are and just sock away all that money so that one of them can be freed from the burden of working you know but if the other one doesn't think that working is a burden and derives a lot of intrinsic satisfaction from working then these two have the capacity or the the probability of misunderstanding each other and talking past each other and um, usually what happens is the one who uh, wants to go up in class and get the next car and the the flashy whatever um, the big vacations that one is seen as like shallow by the other partner and then the one who wants to do the saving is seen as like really stodgy and scared of the world and a buzzkill and somebody who doesn't like to experience things you know and so obviously these are caricatures and and a caricature never tells the full story of all the complexity of a person so what would we do in couples counseling for these couples is address kind of the root causes of these belief systems around money and class which most partners have really never explored in one another you know or in themselves for that matter so forget about one another very few people have been like really sussed out like why do I think the ways that I do about money and wealth and power and class like what did I learn in my upbringing about this in what ways is my spending now intentional in what ways is it automatic in what ways is it a reaction you know versus something intentional and mindful and then what about the same for my partner? Like, how did my partner's upbringing influence the way that they think about money and class? Why do they seem so upset at the idea of, of you know, upgrading, in my mind, upgrading, in quotes, a house, you know, in the mind of the, sp- of the hypothetical speaker? You know, and why doesn't that make them so happy? You know, and this can really cause a lot of conflict when people have not really examined it in themselves, which is, again, really frequent. And so they assume that, like, they that their way is the only way. So, like, a guy will come home, like, he'll get a big bonus and come home with, like, a tennis bracelet for his wife. And she'll be like, oh, my God, you didn't spend, is that, that's not real. What did you spend on that? Oh, my God, can you return that? Is that in the window of returning? And so, of course, he might take that very, very personally as a slap in the face that she's being nasty about his gift. And he might think, if he were doing some therapy, he might think, hmm, why do I take her fear about that personally? Huh, maybe because my mother would have just died of joy to get a tennis bracelet. And my father's never able to get her one. And I just kind of assumed for my whole life that that's what a woman would love. Like that then I would have really made it. And I was picturing, as I was driving home with this thing, I was picturing we would have sex tonight. I 
was picturing, she would be over the moon and then she would see me as this amazing guy who managed to make this wonderful gift happen for her. And then on her end, what is she thinking? She's thinking, oh my God, what does this mean? Who does he think I am? Does he not even know who I am? I'm not somebody who would be comfortable wearing this. This is like those other women that I see that I don't like, you know, and that I was trained not to like if she were to go into therapy and think about it. Those, quote, snobby or elitist women that wear all the jewelry, you know, like I'm not like that. Doesn't he even know me? So you see how something as as minor as one gift can cause an empathic rupture truly on both sides where the man feels terrible and the woman feels terrible. But this is not about the bracelet, of course. It's about their different conceptualizations and belief systems surrounding money and class and what the signifiers of wealth mean to each of them. And when this stuff is discussed in a very open way, people can learn so much about each other and really empathize with one another's experiences, both growing up and now, and often come to a common ground where nobody feels like they're living a life that isn't their own, which frequently leads to divorce. You know, when people think, my God, I've had to play a role in this relationship for so long, you know, like corporate wife or like, you know, like successful doctor when I've wanted to retire from this medical profession years ago or like whatever the case may be, you know, and talking about these things sooner than later can really help couples get on track and have a deeper understanding of one another as full and complex people and not take things so personally and instead understand the entirety of their partner's experiences and their own experiences and kind of get to a middle ground, which is so much easier if you understand where each person is starting off. All right, so if you found this interesting, this should be uh, something, again, a topic that you can bring up with your spouse. Do not bombard them with my podcast if they don't like my podcast, but um, you can bring it up yourself. Like, what do you think about money? In fact, in my book, 52 Emails to Transform Your Marriage, I have one on money. I'm pretty sure I wrote that damn thing a long time ago, but I'm pretty sure I have one on money, uh, an email that you would send out with questions and whatever. These are prompts. I hope you all know that I have these books. I have the How to Talk to Your Kids About Your Divorce one, but I also have 52 emails to transform your marriage, which is something that some of my clients have done productively, only if they are very verbal. And um, they are prompts to um, email one another, basically as though you're in couples counseling, the same sorts of questions that a counselor might ask you to prompt you to engage on a deeper level about certain topics. So that's always something um, that, that, that you can do as well. All those are on Amazon. Um, anyway, so hope this was interesting. Please do follow all of my various social media channels. I'm going to be on Twitch. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to be on Twitch. Twitch is like for gamers. I don't think I've ever played a video game. But um, I will not be on Twitch. But you know what? Never say die. Who knows? And um, anyway, subscribe. I'll see you all soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>